Well, this winter I've been preaching through a sermon series that I've entitled Revival, and this came out of a conviction that what God had in store for us and what we were currently experiencing individually as a church, uh, that there's a huge gap there, right? And so the hope is that as we spend this time seeking God in prayer, that he would cause revival in our church, in our lives. Amen? And so what I've been doing essentially the past five weeks or so is going through the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about what the blessed life, the, the one who God favors, what that looks like. Um, if you remember, I had referenced Richard Lovelace's book, Dynamics of Spiritual Renewal. He said, as he looked throughout history at where there was revival, where there was a, you know, an increase in spiritual life among the church, there tended to be these two preconditions, an increased awareness of the holiness of God and an increased awareness of the depth of our sin. So on the first hand, seeing the greatness of God, his, his transcendence, his perfection in every way, and then also seeing the depth of our sin, how far short we fall of God's holy standard, that when those two things happen, there tends to be this revival that happens as we cry out for God to bridge that gap. And so that's the hope as we look at the Beatitudes, that we hold up a mirror and see what Jesus has called us to so that we could see the depth of our sin, the holiness of God, and experience revival. So far, we've gone through these Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And then this morning, we're going to look at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I want to just outline the sermon this morning as the promise of God that we see here, the problem, and then the provision, and then the pursuit. This is once every three years I come up with an outline that has the same letter that starts all four, so congratulations to me. The promise. Let's start with the promise. It's a a pretty amazing promise that you have here in verse 8, right? The promise is you will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is one of those times where I'm speaking way above my pay grade, way above, way above what I could ever put into words, what he means when he says, you will see God. But I'm going to just try to outline a little bit of what that might mean. You know, ever since the beginning, of course, God created man and woman to walk with him, to be with him. But then ever since Adam's sin, we lost the face of God, the presence of God. But even when you go back to the blessing that God told Moses to tell the Israelites in Numbers 6, 24 to 26, are you familiar with this? He said, say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. He says, this is how you're to pronounce a blessing over the Israelites, that the Lord's face would turn upon you and shine upon you. It's this blessing of God that when his face shines upon you, when his face is towards you, that you have his favor, you have his blessing. But every time you look throughout the Bible, it seems like every time God shows up, what happens? It's not this like joyous experience. When God arrives on the scene, typically people fall down as though they're dead. Ezekiel, Isaiah, John at the beginning of Revelation. It's like they want to fall down because, again, the holiness of God in front of them and the depth of their own sin, their awareness, causes them to want to just crawl into the ground and die. And so even though we need the face of God, the blessing, the presence of God, the reality is every time he shows up, we feel like we're going to die. You think of Exodus 
33, 18 to 23, Moses is meeting with God, and he says, I want to see you, not just, you know, hear a voice, but see you. Moses said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So again, even though we're created for the presence of God, the face of God, even though he says, this is how you're to pray, you know, that the Lord's face may shine on you. The problem is, as he says here, no one can see my face and live. It's like you can't look at the sun without going blind That times a million is what we've got here. You can't see the face of God. The best I can do for you, Moses, is I can show you where I just was. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to pass by. And the best I can give you is kind of my back here, where I just was. Because if you see my glory, you will die. But here in the Beatitudes, we have Jesus saying, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That which was impossible, that which would kill you, is blessed are the pure in heart, you will see God. And then when you fast forward to the end of the Bible, you have that promise coming true. Revelation 22, 3 to 4. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, which is a way of saying we will belong to him. That's the promise. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. And the promise, he says, will be fulfilled on that day. And again, I am speaking to things that are way beyond my comprehension, way behind any of our comprehension, what it will be like to see God on that day. The best I can try to do is try to give analogies, right? Think of what it's like witnessing something majestic or glorious, you know? When you look and you see a beautiful sunset, or when you see a a waterfall, what does it stir up within you when you witness something majestic, something glorious. That you want, to, you want to gaze upon it. You want it to stay forever. You want to enjoy it. You want to praise it. You want to share it with others. Think about what happens when you witness something beautiful. Walking, seeing a bride walk down the aisle. Seeing a beautiful baby. Again, just how much joy, how you want to be part of this experience. There's something just majestic and glorious and beautiful that you want to enjoy and share with others. Think about what it's like being part of something uplifting and emotional, like a a moving concert or a, a, a sports experience, you know, a championship. Again, how hard it is to put into words the emotions that you feel, the joy, the ecstasy, the glory how you want it to last. You want to share it with others. It's the best I can come up with. You add those things together. As 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. The best we can understand is those experiences, those glimpses we have of glory, of something majestic, of something beautiful, ecstatic, where we just want it to last forever. We want to experience it, enjoy it, and share it, and shout it from the rooftops, and praise it to others. 
Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. It's so hard to put into words, but it's the best analogies I can come up with. That is the promise he says here. For those who are pure in heart, they will see God. But there's a problem, isn't there, right? I've already alluded to it a little bit. There's a problem with this promise. The problem is that nobody's pure in heart. So Jesus is giving us this amazing promise, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The promise is that none of us are pure in heart. Proverbs 20, verse 9, Who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin? All you need to do is go back five verses. The Beatitudes began with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He begins by saying, square one, step one, is recognizing your sin, your poverty before God. The poor in spirit, those who recognize they're spiritually bankrupt, who have no resume that they can present to God to say, accept me into your kingdom. Blessed are those who come empty, who recognize the depth of their sin. And the second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, builds on that, where he's saying not only that you're aware of that in your head, but that you grieve it. You recognize that my sin has caused such havoc in the lives of others in my own life. It even caused the Son of God to die. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who mourn their sin, who recognize the depth of what it is and what it means. And here we are four verses later, and Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart. What's going on here, Jesus? If we need to recognize the depth of our sin and come poor in spirit, how can we also be pure in heart? I mean, a couple other verses about our heart. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The more we are aware of our own hearts, the more we recognize that even at our best, even at our most holiest, even when we're giving and serving and worshiping, we're still stained with sin. We're still divided We've got self-centeredness right there alongside God-centeredness. Think of Romans 7, 15 to 25. I do not understand what I do, Paul said. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. It is sin living in me. I I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Anyone, you know, anyone relate to that? This is Paul, wrote a great deal of the New Testament. And here he's candidly saying, listen, I've got this desire to serve and follow God that he has put in me by his Holy Spirit. But right alongside of that, I've got this sinful nature that wants to pull me away from God, that wants to be self-centered, that wants to just live for myself, that doesn't want God at all. 
and they're right there warring against each other. And so even though I know he's called me to be pure in heart, to be sincere in my devotion to him, to just desire his will and glory above all things, part of me wants that. But there's another part of me that doesn't. There's another part of me that just wants to destroy me. Wants to be self-centered in every way. And they're at battle. They're at war within me. <laughs> Who's going to rescue me? Is it going to be education? You know, if I just get more education, then I'll be pure? Is it politics? If there's just the right laws in place, then I'll get pure? Is it just more effort? Do I just need to work harder? And then I'll be pure? He says, who's going to rescue me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He says, there, there, he says, is the answer. There is the provision. The promise is that the pure in heart will see God. The problem is that none of us are pure in heart, so none of us are going to see God. But there's a provision. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, he says, that God did not leave us alone in our sin, but he sent the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, to come to live the perfect life we could not live without sin. He was the pure one, the single-minded one, the one devoted to God. And then he came and he died on the cross, a sacrificial death in our place, to pay the penalty for our sin. Crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why has God turned his face from me? He lost the face of God on the cross so that we could have God's face, so that we could have God's presence, so that we could be made pure. Listen to a couple of these promises from the Old Testament about what God would do for us. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What's the problem? The problem is we're impure. Our hearts are not pure. Our hearts are divided. So how's God going to deal with it? He says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in you. I'm going to make you a new creation. I'm going to purify your heart so that you can see me, that you can know me. Jeremiah 31, 33 this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after this time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's the promise. Again, he will write his law on our hearts. We'll know him. The old will be gone. The new will come. The heart of stone will be replaced with the heart that responds to him. And so we can say along with David, create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. The promise is that the pure in heart will see God. But the problem is that none of us are pure in heart. And no amount of education, no amount of hard work, no amount of laws, nothing is ever going to purify our hearts. And so it fits together. We come poor in spirit. We come confessing our impurity, confessing our sin, confessing our need for God and he gives us a new heart a new spirit do you have that new heart do you have the Holy Spirit when you look at your life do you see the difference do you see that he has put something in you that is not of you that it's not just about you trying harder to be right with God it's not about you trying harder to be holy to be pure 
that's not what religion's all about. That's not what Christianity is all about. Christianity is about us coming poor in spirit, recognizing that there's no way we can bridge the gap. There's no way we can, by our own efforts, purify our hearts, make ourselves right with God. Coming and confessing that. Recognizing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. For exactly that problem, to solve that problem. That's the provision. He gives us a new heart. And so now comes the pursuit. Now we can pursue purity. Now this promise means something new. It means something real. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now we can continue to walk in greater purity, asking him to purify our hearts. Because the more that we are pure in heart, the more we will see God, not just on that day, but here and now. Notice how Jesus does not focus on external behaviors, right? He's not about your external conduct, as if God is concerned about what you look like and how you act on the outside. He's concerned about the heart, your motivations, the center of your being, out of which flows everything. Blessed are the pure in heart. Because you can do all the right things and have a wrong heart. Do you know that? You can do all the right things from the wrong motives. You could come to church because you want to meet someone, right? You could come to church because you think it checks a box for God, you know? You can give and serve to be seen by others so that others will think you're a generous person. There's all kinds of ways that we can do things to be seen by others. God looks at the heart. That's his concern. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I wanted to think through, well, what would that mean in the here and now? Because all of these promises, there's kind of the, the fulfillment of it on that day when worth him forever. But there's also, you know, the already not yet. There's already, already ways in which we see God as we become more pure in heart. And so I want to just, as I thought about that, there's four ways I think that we can see God. First, we can see God in nature the more that we are pure in heart. Think of Isaiah chapter 6. We looked at this verse a couple months ago. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah writing this. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they are flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Did you know that the whole earth is full of his glory? That the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim his handiwork. Those who are pure in heart, those who are single-minded in their devotion to God, those whose desire is to see him, to know him, to honor him, as you become more pure, you begin to see God everywhere. I'm not speaking pantheistically as if God is nature. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you see glimpses of him everywhere. You hear echoes of him everywhere. You hear the thunder and you know that it's the roar of his power. You see the birds and you see the provision of God, the flowers of the field. 
you look at nature, you look at the animals, you see God's creative abilities. What would it look like to be able to walk through and just recognize that the whole earth is full of his glory? How many of us are just blind to that, right? Romans 1 talks about how his powers are obvious in the world, but so many of us are blind to it, don't see it, don't acknowledge him. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God in nature. They will see that the whole earth is full of his glory. What about seeing God in the Bible? My life, I became a believer at 18 years old. One of the biggest differences before and after was the Bible was just a book and a pretty boring and meaningless book beforehand. And then afterwards, it came alive. And God was in it. And God was speaking through it. And I wanted to know the Bible inside and out. And I wanted to know God. Was it because of education? Was it because someone taught me? Was it because... No, it was because God had put a new heart and a new spirit in me. And as he had purified my heart, now I was seeing God in the Bible. Think of what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus saying, this book testifies about me. You see me everywhere in this. Those of us who read through the Bible last year, many of us read through the whole Bible. How many of you, as you read through the Old Testament, saw how the whole of it points to Jesus in ways that you never knew before? That it all testifies about him. Remember Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples. And he said he opened up the scriptures and showed how the whole thing pointed to him. Blessed are the pure in heart. As you become more and more focused on God, desiring him, you will see him. He will come alive. He will speak to you through the Bible. The pure in heart will see God in other people and in the church. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And those who are pure in heart recognize and see the image of God in others. Every single person is an image bearer of God, worthy of respect, because God has put his image in them. These are not random people that you're interacting with. These are men and women created in the image of God. And those who are pure in heart recognize that and can see God in others. And in the church. Remember Paul said, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. I don't know how you feel about the church, but this is the body of Christ, he says. The hands and feet of our Lord. He's given his spirit, his gifts to each person here. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God in the midst of the church. They won't see just a bunch of sinners, you know. They'll see God in each other. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. And then lastly, they will see God in the circumstances of life. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see what God is up to. They will recognize that things are not just happening randomly, but that God is sovereign. God is at work. Genesis twenty-eight sixteen to 17, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely 
the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Every once in a while, God would, like for Jacob, kind of pull back the curtain and show him, this is not some random desert that you've just laid down to sleep in with a rock for a pillow. I am here. I'm in the midst of your desert. I am here. I'm watching over you. The angels are ministering to you. Jacob had that, you know, vision, but we can know as well. God is in this place. God is in your life. God is at work, even when you don't see what he's up to or understand it. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God in their lives and see what God is up to more and more. The more that you are pure in heart, single-minded in focus and devotion to God, the more you'll see God at work and recognize this is not random. God is up to something good. He's always working everything together for good. And so, yes, I believe that the promise primarily is for that day when we're with God in eternity. We will see God face to face. Whatever that means, we'll enjoy the majesty, the glory, the beauty forever. But it's not just for that day beyond the grave. It's also for the here and now. Blessed are the pure in heart. Go after God. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Seek after him. Purify your heart. Draw near to him. And you will see God more and more in nature as you recognize the whole earth is full of his glory. You'll see him more and more in the Bible as you read, recognizing that it all testifies to him. You'll see him in other people who are created in the image of God. You'll see him in the church, which is the body of Christ. You'll see him in the circumstances of your life. You'll know that God is present. God is at work. Surely he's in this place even when you're not aware of it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And we know, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. That's a beautiful promise. All of us who feel like trying to understand God's ways and see God and know God, it's like looking in a dark mirror. Says, yeah, that's the way it is. But then we're going to see face to face. So let me leave you with one last passage. John writes, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. When God appears, we will see him and we will become like him. We will become one. We'll be united in some way. We'll share in his glory, share in his joy, share in his love forever. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Everyone who has this hope, he says, purifies himself repents of sin, gets rid of anything that is not of him, and goes after him, fully devoted to God and his glory. Let me close in prayer. Lord, I know I'm speaking to things that are so far beyond my comprehension, but I thank you first and foremost for Jesus, that because of his life, death, and resurrection, that you can give us a new heart, a new spirit, that we can see you, even if it's in a mirror darkly, we can see you here. And we look forward to the day when we will see you face to face. 
We know that no eye has seen and no ear has heard, no mind has comprehended what you have in store for us. We thank you, Lord. We look forward to that day. In the meantime, Lord, help us to purify ourselves, to be single-minded in our devotion to you, to want you and desire you above all other things, Lord, to put away sin, to put away everything that hinders, to run this race with perseverance, Lord. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.